Chapter 10. Perry played. Philippa Ingram paced back and forth in her small kitchen, eating a piece of buttered toast as the sun shone in through the large living room window. Perry was now sitting in an armchair near the window, eating his own piece of toast, albeit with grape jelly in lieu of butter. It was half past seven, and they had been talking throughout the night. Miss Ingram, fiercely loyal to her brother, continued to question Perry about hypotheticals and motives that could have caused her brother to commit such a crime. What it finally came down to, Perry realized, was that Philippa Ingram could not believe and could not accept that her brother was a murderer. And you say that when you entered the apartment, your wife was already dead. Philippa persisted, going through the story yet another time. As I said before, Miss Ingram, when I entered the apartment, Marjorie was already dead. I suspect it had been only a few moments before that she'd been shot. I discovered Marcus in the room, sitting in a chair, the gun in his hand. He was barely able to speak, he was so drunk. But you never heard the gunfire. You did not witness the murder, she insisted, finding a new sense of hope in this point. It's possible, then, that someone else could have committed the crime. Someone else could have shot Marjorie right before Marcus arrived, or perhaps while he was in the apartment. You said yourself he was so drunk that he was incoherent, and he couldn't remember anything the following morning. There is only one way into the building, and that's through the main entrance off the street. The doorman gave testimony, if you remember. No one but Marcus entered prior to Marjorie's death. He was the only one, Perry stated matter-of-factly. And there was nowhere else someone could have entered. What about through a window? Is there a fire escape? Perhaps someone entered that way, Philippa persisted. Yes, there is a fire escape leading to the window in the main living room, but that window was locked from the inside, Perry insisted. If you are suggesting that someone entered and exited through the fire escape, the window would have to have been unlocked. It's not possible to lock from the outside for what I think are quite obvious reasons. Besides, that window had not been used in years as it was sealed shut. It would have been no easy task to pry it open from the outside if it was unlocked, which it was not. You must understand that all of these possibilities were considered by the detectives when this case went to trial. They concluded what we now know to be truth. Marcus, and Marcus alone, entered the apartment and shot Marjorie. There is no other probable suspect. Philippa would not be convinced. My brother maintains his innocence, she said. The statement struck Perry as odd, hearing Philippa referring to Marcus in the present tense. Had she not said earlier in the evening that she had no communication with him since his trial? Perhaps she had some secrets of her own. And if she had been communicating with her brother, wouldn't he now be aware of Perry's whereabouts? What was this woman's game? Perry Penderwinkle wasn't sure he trusted this woman. If it's all the same to you, Miss Ingram, I think it's time I make my way home. I have some business to attend to. I am also quite late now for work. As much as I've enjoyed this chat and hearing your theories on my wife's murder, I think it's time I take my leave, Perry said nonchalantly, standing up and heading for the door. And what about my brother? inquired Philippa, moving between Perry and the door. What if he comes looking for you? Or what if he contacts me? I fear for your safety, Mr. Penderwinkle. She tried, though her tone rang false. I suggest you call the authorities, Miss Ingram, Perry said dismissively as he opened the door. 
and when you do speak to Marcus again, and I know you will, could you relay a message to him for me? Yes, Perry, she replied eagerly. If I hear from him, that is. What's the message? Perry paused for dramatic effect. Tell him he can go to hell. Perry slammed the door behind him, walking briskly toward the elevator that would take him down to the lobby and out into the street. He stepped in the elevator, pressed one, and took a deep breath. Philippa Ingram did not believe the story Perry had offered her. She was convinced of Marcus's innocence, and it seemed quite likely that she was in communication with her brother. Penderwinkle stepped out of the elevator and exited onto the street. He did not recognize the neighborhood, but the skies were clear, and in the distance he could see the Manhattan skyline. He stepped forward and raised his right arm to hail a taxi. He'd return home to grab a few essentials and then find a hotel for the evening. If Marcus was indeed already in the States, then he'd find Perry's address in no time. The taxicab pulled up and Perry got in. Thompson and Broom, please, Perry barked. As the cab raced for Manhattan, Perry Penderwinkle plotted his next move. Chapter 11 Penderwinkle's Pseudonym Perry Penderwinkle unlocked the door to his apartment, swiftly scuttling in and bolting the door behind him. He had been on edge from the moment he left the apartment of Philippa Ingram. For all he knew, Marcus could already be informed of his whereabouts and was on his way to find Perry at this very moment. Had Philippa tracked down Penderwinkle's address as well? Perry thought that was less likely. His apartment had been rented under the name Parker Perlman, a name that Perry thought to be rather ordinary sounding, very American. It was close enough to his own name that it would be easy for Perry to remember, but it was also not that clever of a pseudonym. Anyone searching for him would have little trouble making the connection between a Parker Perlman and a Perry Penderwinkle. As he entered the kitchen, Perry noticed a flashing light coming from his telephone. It was a light indicating that someone had called and left him a message. He picked up the phone and quickly dialed the number to check his messages. On the other end of the line, he heard the frantic voice of Martin Nesson, sounding, not surprisingly, quite distressed. Perry listened as Nesson rambled on, stating that he had not seen Perry in the office today and that it was customary to call in first if one was to be late or absent from work. Perry rolled his eyes and hung up the phone before the message was finished. Penderwinkle would smooth this over later this afternoon. The best course of action would be to call in, apologizing profusely and feign some mystery illness that would keep Perry out of the office through the end of the week. In the meantime, he needed to assemble a few days' worth of clothing and toiletries, as he would be finding another place to stay until he had properly formulated a plan. It was not a matter of whether or not Marcus Ingram would find out where he lived, but when. And Perry preferred to be long gone by the time Marcus arrived. But where would Perry go? He had not lived in New York long enough to have friends to stay with, and he could not remember ever having known anyone who lived in America. A cheap hotel seemed the most logical short-term solution, if he could find one on short notice. Stay through the end of the week, and then go from there, he thought. But then Perry remembered something, or rather, someone. There was one person he'd known who had moved to America, though it had been close to ten years since they'd spoken. Bernadette Dautrice, an American, though she'd been employed by the service back in England. If Perry remembered correctly, however, she had retired a good ten years ago and moved back to the States. To New York, in fact.
Quickly, Perry gathered up his things in a small duffel bag. He could waste no time. He would shower later. Twenty minutes later, Perry Penderwinkle had exited his apartment building and was walking south down Thompson Street. If he remembered correctly, there was a telephone booth just at the end of the block. There was no phone directory in his apartment, so he would have to hope for one in this telephone booth. Perry did the math as he walked to the phone booth. Dotrice was a good ten years Perry's senior. I hope she's still alive, Perry thought. Lord knows she smoked enough cigarettes to give us all lung cancer. He approached the booth and opened the door, relieved to find a well-worn phone book hanging from below the payphone. Perry smiled and closed the door behind him, flipping through until he reached the D section. Dotal, Doty, Dotran, ah, Dotrice, Bernadette. Perry dropped in two quarters. The phone rang once, twice, three times. Then a tired, gravelly voice answered the phone. A smile stretched across Perry Penderwinkle's face. He recognized the voice instantly. It was Bernadette Dotrice. Chapter 12, Perry's Pal. Perry Penderwinkle stood on the corner of 161st Street and Riverside Drive in Upper Manhattan. He'd not yet been this far north on the island, and he felt as though he'd entered an entirely different city. The streets were less cramped up here, and there were more high-rises, including the one he stood in front of at the moment. Presumably this was where Bernadette Dotrice lived, though he was not entirely certain. Bernadette, or Bernie as he used to call her, had provided Perry with a street corner, but no address. Force of habit, Perry thought. Having spent as many decades in the service as they both had, it only made sense to be at least a little cautious when contacted by someone from the past. Even in retirement, there was always the lingering possibility that some piece of information or an old contact could prove to be useful for you, for the service, or for an old enemy. Nothing wrong with a little extra caution, he thought. Perry looked down at the sidewalk, then back at the towering apartment building directly in front of him. This was the correct meeting place, and he was certain he was not late. Perry didn't remember Bernadette being anything other than punctual when they worked together, though that had been over a decade ago. Down the block, a woman was wheeling up the sidewalk. She sported a large green fedora with a feather on the brim, very thick prescription glasses, and a short red wig. She had a colourful afghan draped across her lap and a lit cigarette hanging from her mouth. She held the cigarette in place with one hand as she wheeled herself forward with the other. The woman was heading in Perry's direction, and as she got closer, she raised the cigarette from her lips and waved it at Perry. Pennywinkle! She coughed, a cloud of smoke fuming forth from her mouth as she spoke in a laboured voice. Look at you! You don't look a day over seventy! Bernadette wheezed, a mischievous grin on her face. Come on, let's go for a stroll. You can push me in my wheelchair while I have a smoke. I'm too old for multitasking. Perry laughed as he walked over and grabbed the back handles of the woman's wheelchair. He had not recognized her at first glance, with a hat and wig, not to mention that she was now in a wheelchair. But the voice and temperament were exactly as Perry remembered. Also the cigarettes. She'd smoked like a chimney as long as he'd known her. It seemed that age had not managed to knock off all of Bernie's sharp edges. Which way, Bernie? asked Penderwinkle as he placed his small duffel bag on Dotrice's lap. 
I hope you don't mind carrying my luggage while we stroll, Perry said, knowing that the small inconvenience would annoy her to no end. Very well. If that's what it costs for me to rest my arms for a few minutes. Just head across Riverside there. The park runs for quite a few blocks. We'll head south along the river, she instructed. Cigarette, Perry. I remember you enjoying a good smoke now and then. No, Bernie, thank you. I think you have me confused with someone else. I was never much of a smoker. Ah, yes, that was the other one. The other chap, your friend, what was his name? Bernadette asked innocently. Marcus. I believe you mean Marcus. That's right, I remember now, she said. They crossed the street and entered the park. Large trees ran along the path which headed both north and south, more or less parallel to the river. Scattered across the grassy park, there were picnic tables and benches, but only a handful of people were now in the park. Every few minutes they would pass the occasional runner, but otherwise they more or less had the park to themselves. I was very sorry to hear about Marjorie, Bernadette offered, after a long drag from her cigarette. And Marcus, that bastard, never trusted him, Perry. Not as far as I could throw him. But you know that better than most. That is why I came here, Bernie. I am sorry if you thought it was merely a social visit, a reunion of old friends, Perry offered apologetically. I suspected as much. I'm old, Perry, but I'm not a complete fool. No one ever visits just to catch up. There's always something, especially when it has to do with the service, Dotrice offered knowingly. She took another drag of her cigarette and coughed. I also know that Marcus Ingram is out of prison and I suspect he's looking for you. Isn't that why you contacted me? Needed a place to lay low? Well, you've got it, if you need it. Well, I'll warn you. Perry Penderwinkle can't be the only former member of the service who remembers that I live here. It's only a matter of time before Marcus or someone else comes knocking at my door. Bernadette Dotrice was one step ahead of Perry. He'd nearly forgotten that Bernie had known and worked with Marcus, if only for a year. But Dotrice was right. If Marcus was looking for Perry, it would not be long before he also came calling on their old associate. It was time, Penderwinkle realized, for a new plan. I'm afraid Marcus may be closer than you'd like to think, Pennywinkle. I received a call two days ago asking if I'd heard from any old chums from the service. I told them no, of course. Told them I had no idea what they were talking about, but all the same, it appears they're one step ahead of you. If I were you, Perry, I'd go somewhere far away for a while, somewhere you don't know anyone and no one knows you. Oh, there's the alternative. Head back to England, turn yourself over to the service and hope they can keep you safe until Marcus is found. If they find him, and I have a feeling that's a very big if, Bernadette Dotrice concluded ominously. Bernie lit another cigarette as Perry continued to roll her down the path. It forked ahead, and he was instructed to turn down the right, down the path which led them to a small paved area overlooking the river. Here they could sit in solitude, the trees and shrubbery obscuring them from the view of any prying eyes in other parts of the park. This is one of my favorite spots, Dotrice informed Perry. Here, let me show you something. She said, rolling herself forward toward a small patch of cement on the edge of the bank. Perry followed behind her after a moment. Dotrice extended her arms out wide as a breeze blew up cool air from the water below. Perry looked down at the water, some fifteen or twenty feet below them. 
The crisp breeze felt pleasant on his skin, and he filled his lungs with the fresh autumn air. Before, Dotrice exhaled a large puff of cigarette smoke right below Perry's nostrils. He coughed in disgust, not wholly convinced that she hadn't done it on purpose, just to get a reaction out of him. And there is New Jersey, Dotrice announced as she pointed across the river. Weehawken, over by that red brick tower. There's Edgewater and there's Fort Lee. Ever been to New Jersey, Perry? I can't say as I've had the chance, Bernie. Now I suspect one day, perhaps. Oh, you must go, she gushed. Really? Of course not. Don't be silly. Save yourself the bus ticket, Perry. There's not much to it. You're looking at the best the state's got to offer. A marvellous view from Manhattan. Other than that, it's nothing special. Of course, that's only one woman's opinion. But what a view it is, Bernadette marvelled. Indeed, agreed Penderwinkle. He looked at his watch. It was nearly 4.30pm. Bernie, what do you say we head back and have an early dinner? My treat, of course. I confess I've eaten only a light breakfast, and I'm afraid I'm quite famished. Mm, let me ask you something, Perry, Dotrice responded, all but ignoring Penderwinkle's previous statement, something which has been bothering me ever since I received that call about Ingram. Certainly, Bernie. Ask me whatever you like, Perry answered, puzzled by her sudden change in demeanor. Well, Pennywinkle, it's just this. Why exactly would Marcus Ingram be coming after you, I wonder? He betrayed you and killed your wife in a drunken rage. I cannot imagine the guilt I would feel if I'd committed such an act, and against one of my friends, no less. It seems odd to me that a man so guilt-ridden should then come after the man who he'd already wronged. What motive could he possibly have? Bernadette pondered aloud. Perry felt his muscles stiffening. Bernie Dotrice was starting to sound an awful lot like Philippa Ingram. And Perry began to wonder who it may have been that called Bernie two days ago. Could it have been Miss Ingram herself? The only motive I can think of, Perry, is vengeance. But I can't think of any reason Marcus would want revenge against you. That is, unless there's another side to this story. One that only Marcus knows. Marcus and you, of course. Bernie interjected, turning her head to look up into Perry's eyes as she lit one more cigarette. Something you're not telling me, Pennywinkle. As he stared into Bernadette Dotrice's eyes, Perry Penderwinkle was suddenly aware of how close she sat to the edge of the embankment, no guardrail to stop her wheelchair, from rolling down the cliffside into the hungry waters below. All it would take was one little push, and the wheels would do the rest. Perry Penderwinkle stood on the edge of the embankment, feeling the breeze in his hair, smelling the water below, while the sun was turning the sky dazzling shades of orange, pink, and red. Bernadette Dotrice was right about one thing. The view really was quite marvellous.